so glad you're with us this morning. We're going to be going to Mark chapter 5 in a moment, but let me just say or ask, how many had a great Thanksgiving? Good, good one? We did too. We had a good time, and uh, I, was, I, I don't know what that stuff is in the turkey, but you know, once you eat a lot of it, you, you want to sleep. There's just something about it. And, and uh, so I had a good nap in the afternoon when I got home, but uh, we had a great time helping at Emmanuel Baptist. It was very fun partnering with them and Lynn Jessen, Jess Cleverly, uh, Sandy Torman, Ron Payton, and others helped deliver food. And it was so fun to watch our church do a little part with their church that had probably 100 people over there helping out. And uh, I found out yesterday that over 1,310 meals were served. So that's pretty cool. So thank God for Emmanuel and all that they do over there. And then the other great news is the Huskies beat the Cougars. For some of you, like, who are Huskies and who are Cougars? But for those of you who are, I got good news for you Cougs, okay? The Cougars beat the Huskies in women's volleyball. Okay. (laughs) I'm only saying that for Cassie's sake because Cassie played for the Cougars in volleyball, all right? Way to go, Cassie. All right. Christmas meal boxes, in case you're... You just finished up uh, Thanksgiving, and you may have a tough time getting a meal for Christmas, uh, and it's a financial burden for you. Please sign up at the Connection Center. We want to make sure that everybody has a good Christmas meal. Along with that, though, if you can afford to buy some extra food as well and bring it to the church these holidays, uh, we'll put those boxes together, and and, uh, we appreciate all the help we can get. All right. So today, we're going to begin our Christmas series called The Voices of Advent. And today's sermon title is called, it's not on your notes, but this is what it's called, A Thought of Hope. And today, along with our Advent series, Advent series, uh, we're asking everyone to download a reading plan off your YouVersion app. If you don't have the, the Bible app, you can download it on any smartphone, which most phones are smart, but some still are dumb. So I just try it and see what you can do. But it's called King of Kings Advent Reading Plan. And that way, all of us over the next 24 days can be reading on the same plan as we get ready for Christmas. So uh, on your notes, let me just give you the definition of what Advent is. Advent means arrival or coming. So in modern day, it would mean this. It means preparation for the arrival of Jesus. So what, what we do in modern day is that there's, we set this aside to prepare our hearts for the coming spiritually of Jesus into our world. And since we're talking about hope, here's the definition of hope. It means a joyful and confident expectation that something better is coming. So during the time of Jesus, Uh, when he arrived on the scene, the Jewish people were waiting and hoping for the arrival of their Messiah. And many of those folks weren't sure if it was Jesus or not, but his miracles were getting their attention. How many have watched the Chosen series? Yeah, I wouldn't recommend everybody watch the Chosen series because that's, Jesus comes on the scene and their hopes beginning to arise in their heart 
because they're seeing and hearing about miracles and they're thinking, maybe this is the Messiah. So Jesus shows up on the scene. Hope begins to arise in their hearts like never before. And they begin to have a joyful, confident expectation that someone better is maybe here and maybe this Jesus will not only solve their problems but also solve the problems of their nation. So today, we want to share with you the story about one of those folks. We want you to hear her heart as she faces a crisis, and uh, she has a crisis for a long duration, and as hope arises in her heart, she hears about Jesus coming to her town, all right? Let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word, this book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this story begins first about a man's need, but a woman's need takes precedent over this man's need. So Mark 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, before we get to the woman in this story, let me just take, make a few observations about this man. First, this man is identified by his significance. We see his name is Jairus, and we find his status is that he's a, a, a Pharisee, a scribe, and he's a, like a, an attorney of his day. He has obviously probably wealth, and so he has importance, and he has a need that makes his status and affluence inconsequential. His daughter is dying, and no amount of money or status can fix his situation. So you might want to write this down. Uh, certain situations will make your position irrelevant. So he's hoping that this guy Jesus, in spite of all of his money and his affluence, that this guy Jesus will come and heal his daughter. And the good news is Jesus does care about this man's pressing need and starts going with him. But at the same time, the story shifts to this woman's need, which seems hopeless as well. So we have a man of affluence who's hopeless. We have a a woman who uh, is not so affluent. And this is what it says in verse 24. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So let me just say, Uh, We don't know this woman's name. This story is in Matthew, it's in Luke and Mark, 
and we don't know anything uh, other than her issue. So she has no affluence. She's probably uh, as poverty, but we do know that she's been bleeding for 12 years. So you can write this down. She's identified by her issue. So we have one with affluence, one with wealth, and one who has an issue. And may I also say her bleeding was a hidden issue. Uh, no one knew it except those she sought help from and maybe made it public. So when, let me just say, when no one sees where you are bleeding, it's a lonely feeling. It's a lonely place. When, one, when no one sees what dominates and depresses you, they see what you show them and what you want them to know about you. And some of you showed up today and you came in here today and the people here are only seeing what you want them to see on the outside. They don't know about your issue on the inside. But let me just say, just like her, you're in a tough place. And I feel like we need to stop for a moment and ask, where are you bleeding from today that no one knows about? Where are you hurting that no one really heard about? What are you ready? Uh, are you ready for, for uh, just a savior to show up in your life? Jesus didn't even see this woman, by the way. In this case, he didn't see the woman and he felt her presence uh, because she touched him. And that's where we want to unpack the story. A large crowd's following Jesus, pressing in on him. And verse 26 tells us she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Listen to that line again. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Isn't it crazy how so, some of the things we try to make ourselves feel better with, and yet as we try it, it makes us feel worse. Have you ever eaten something and then said, man, that tastes good, that feels good, I want more of it, and you just kept eating and kept eating, and then 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, uh, you are miserable. You can barely walk, you feel terrible. Uh, how many did that maybe over Thanksgiving? Yeah, and you just kept, because at the moment it tasted good and felt good, and what felt good for a moment led to one miserable night in bed. As you're turning over, your wife says to you, or you say to your wife, I shouldn't have eaten all that stuff. So the story doesn't tell us she didn't feel better, but it does tell us that she didn't get better. That's what it tells us in those lines. She, she kept getting worse. So it makes me wonder that in this time of trouble in our nation and in some of our lives, that some of us are running to places where we are spending our time, our energy, our money on things that promise to make your life better, but end up making it worse. Just a thought. It seems like Mark is implying that her situation is hopeless, that that these doctors, I don't know if they meant to or not, but they took advantage of her and they took her money and it's, it's implying really that she's ran out of money. She has no other options. So it's implying she's hopeless, she's unfixable and that she was taken advantage of. So the question we need to ask and answer is this. Is the place you go to to feel better, is it making your situation better? 
Just a question. Now, because before long, here's why it's so important. Before long, you start to identify yourself and your life with the information you receive. So she's gone to these doctors, many of them, not just one or two, but many of them. And in this woman's case, she grew, grew worse to the point that her issue consumed her so totally that she began to be known by her issue. So in her heart and the way she lived, she was hopeless and unfixable. And so she receives a nickname called Issues attached to her life. Now, you may not know it, but you have issues. Everybody here has issues. So just look around, look at somebody and say, you have issues. So, your wife or her husband's going like, I know, I've been telling me for years. But in her heart, the way she lived, she was hopeless and unfixable. So she has this nickname attached to her. Almost everyone in, in my family has nicknames. When I was in junior high, though, my brother Pinky attached another nickname to my life. And uh, when we were growing up, my father would give us pig shapes. If you don't know what that means, he would take the razor and he would shave us till our head was completely smooth because that's the only haircut he knew how to give. And he was so proud of it because he'd say, he was in the Marines, so he would, when he grew up and got in the Marines, and, and so he would say, boys, you look just like Marines. We were like, when we were little, it was like, cool, we look just like that. Then it was my brother somehow, so I'm in eighth grade, he's in ninth grade. He talks to my dad and says, listen, I don't want to look like you anymore, dad. I don't want to do that. But he didn't tell me he was going to do that, and I'd already got my pig shave. So there I was, and, and so now we're on the football bus, and I used to tell everybody about Jesus. And we're on the football bus leaving from Harbor High, which is now, used to be Hopkins Junior High. And we would drive over to the football field over uh, at Stewart Field. And my brother got every, I many remember the Adams family. Yes. So there was a guy on there, his name was, do you remember what it was? Yeah. Fester. Fester, the bald guy. And so my brother started chanting, Faster, faster, faster. And because I told everybody about Jesus, he attached Fester, the bald-headed preaching bomber. And the whole bus is shouting, Fester, the bald-headed preaching bomber. Fester, the bald-headed preaching bomber. My brother prepared me to take adversity. <laughs> just saying. I had somebody say to me just not weeks ago, didn't we call you Fester? <laughs> Still remember the nickname. It's stuck for years. Listen, uh, now, now my nickname is Doug the Stud, but I've, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to get that out there. So there was a time when this woman, by the way, this woman had a name. But for 12 years, she's consumed by her issue. So over time, she loses her name. That's probably what happened to many of you sometime in your life. That's when you started thinking things like this. I'm just an addict. I'll always be an addict. I'm just an alcoholic. I'll always be an addict, uh, uh, an alcoholic. I'm just, uh, I'm unfixable. 
this thing. The doctors told me there's no hope. So I'm just unfixable and I'm hopeless. But your hopelessness has not met the person called hope yet. I just want you to know that. He's, he's here today to tell you that no matter what your situation is, no matter what label's been put on you, you can take the name I gave you. So look at verse 27, 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Other versions say the hem of his garment. So these verses give us the process of hope. Let me just give you uh, what they are. Number one, she heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So she hears about this healer and a joyful expectation that something or someone better is on the way and hope begins to bubble up in her heart. I remember growing up in junior high and high school and, and you had a crush on somebody or they had a crush on you. But they never told you they had a crush. They sent a messenger to you. And they would say something like this. Did you know that Lois has a crush on you? And I was like, um, no, I, I didn't know that. And this girl said, in fact, I think if you asked Lois out, she'd go out with you. Now, there were other times when people came to me and, I, and said, you know so-and-so likes you? And you'd say, oh, that's great. But you didn't want to get their hopes up, right? You didn't want to hurt them. But Lois, when I heard that she, she might like me now, she says she didn't send the messenger. But she did. <laughs> so the messenger shows up and says, you know, Lois likes you, I'm pretty sure, and she'd go out with you if you asked her. So something inside him went, I knew she liked me. I can tell when a girl likes me. So I thought, I've heard about it now. I'm going to do something about that, which brings us to the second process of hope, and that is she came. So she heard, she came, she found out where Jesus was, and she took some action to what she heard. She didn't wait for Jesus to come to her, but she came to Jesus. Now, when I heard that Lois was interested, I learned also that Lois was a slow mover. So I needed to kind of just get things going. So I sought her out, I went to her, and I asked her out, and I put some action to my hope to where she just said, oh, Doug, the stud, I've been waiting for you this whole time. Where have you been all my life? (laughs) Truthfully, she said, I'll think about it. I was like, what what do you got to think about? Look at this specimen here. (laughs) But she said, I'll think about it. Which leads us to step number three. She touched. Actually, Lois just grabbed me and hugged me. and No, she did not. Which leads me to the point where I asked her to kiss me once. And she said, okay, one. <laughs> and she gave me a little like that. And I said, can I have another one? She said, I told you, one and only one, and walked away. <clears throat> that woman, this woman did not have, she, 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 was, she was after Jesus. All right, back, back to the, this is where it breaks down. So we got to stay <laughs> get away from that analogy and get back to the woman. She believed if she could just get close enough and touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed. And the story tells us immediately 
the bleeding stopped. So here's a question. What stopped the woman's bleeding? I have read this story over and over again many times, and for the most part, I've always thought the touch is what brought the healing. But verse 28 tells us this, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I want you to know the key to this whole thing is she hears and then what she thinks changes everything. So it all started with a thought. You should write that down. So the real process of hope that caused her hope to rise up and become a confident expectation that something better could happen is she heard, then she thought, then she came, then she touched. And I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know you can stop the negative things that are going on in your life with just one thought. Now, I, I don't know about you, but my mind has thousands of thoughts every hour of every day. And uh, I can go a little crazy in my thinking. You know how you can start thinking after, after you find out that somebody likes you? I've been through this with my brother Pinky a little bit. Your mind goes crazy. My brother's had crushes on women. Women have crushes on him. <laughs> and so we're, we're talking about these things. And, and we're remembering back in the day where, where we were in grade school and he had these crushes. And we go these things where our mind would start, I don't think they... I don't think they like me anymore. I don't know if they ever like me. I'm not sure. Is anybody relating to what I'm saying here? So your mind starts going crazy, but let me just say this. All it matters is if you get your thoughts under control, the one that you act on is what matters. That's the main thing. So maybe she had a thought of whatever, all he wants is my money, just like all the doctors when all the church wants is my money, so I'm going to stay away from church. I can't even get to him because uh, who am I? Or what if someone recognizes me? They will stone me. She had all these wrong thoughts. But then among all the other thousands of thoughts, hope began to rise up, and she thought, if I can just get to him and touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And so she held that thought above all the others and it became the dominant thought and then she acted on it. Whatever's the dominant thought is what you'll end up acting on, all right? So she heard, she came, she touched and she thought and it all started with hearing but the thought above all the other thoughts started bringing hope. So she started thinking something like this. Maybe I'm not unfixable. Maybe I'm not hopeless. And verse 29 tells us this. It says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Isn't that an amazing verse right there? But it all started from hearing and then she acted on uh, her thoughts. And your thoughts, you need to know this, your thoughts will either take you closer to Jesus or further away from him. So which thought are you acting on? Which thought are you believing uh, four. Now, you might just be or, or be just one thought away from your salvation today. You might be just one thought away from your healing. You might be just one thought away from forgiveness and joy. A thought of hope can change everything. Now, <clears throat> she thought if I can just touch him, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter about all the labels that have been put on me by others if I can just touch 
Jesus. Then verse 30 tells us, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? So it's important to notice he didn't see her. I know we say God sees everything, but some, for some reason, his heavenly father did not reveal to him who touched, but he felt her. And I just want you to know, God feels your prayers. He feels your worship. She felt him. He felt her. And it all started with a thought, a thought of hope that she held on to. And then verse 31 says, you see the people crowding against you? This is probably Peter talking, but says his disciples. And yet you can ask who touched me? Uh, I was thinking about this last night. We were watching, I was watching the football game and they showed Pictures, when, when a team wins, the crowd goes crazy and they start surrounding it. And you start thinking, please don't let that person fall down. They'll get trampled to death. And as I'm thinking about Jesus being in the crowd, people trying to get close to him, I could just see this woman probably on her knees trying to reach through the legs, trying to touch his garment. You're just, I'm thinking, please don't trample her. But it says here, uh, everyone's touching you is what he's saying. And so how can you ask? who touched me. And then verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what she had done, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. It's amazing to me. The woman thought she was in trouble, but she wanted to tell the truth. So she heard, she thought, she came, she touched, she felt, and she told him. Now, wouldn't it be cool if we could go back in time but hear it in a modern-day perspective about what this woman was going through? So, please watch. Has anyone here been sick before? Well, it's kind of a silly question. We're human. We have bodies. We live in this world with diseases and viruses and all the things. Most of us, though, thankfully, live in pretty good health. And we get to do the things that we want to do and have the capabilities that we have and get up and do go about our day. And we have that freedom when we're healthy. But that moment, that moment that we get sick or we get a, an illness that keeps us down for a long period of time, it's in that moment that we remember, oh, that time that I was walking in a miracle of health, I took it for granted. <laughs> I didn't realize, I didn't realize how awesome it was to have those freedoms and those liberties and for us to just have that peace of health. And so when we're in that place, we're sick, we're held in limitation, we're held in pain, we're held captive to it. And we don't have that freedom of wellness anymore. Have you ever been sick for a year? Maybe five years? What about a decade? Well, I've been sick for over 12 years. And it almost destroyed me. Financially, it bled our family dry because I went to all the doctors and they couldn't help me. They didn't have the answers. But then again, how could I get help 
good help from the doctors anyway when they're too scared to touch me, too afraid to even come near me. And then my mind starts to wander. What if this is forever? What if this is my future? And then the thought gets even worse. What if I did this to myself? What if I did something to disappoint God and I brought this on? What did I do to deserve this? Is God punishing me in my sin? And I lived with those terrible thoughts for the better part of a decade, being held captive by those limitations. And believe me, I wasn't just beating myself up, because the law told me. The law told me I was unclean. It was Moses who wrote about my condition like this. When a woman's discharge of blood flows for many days, all the days of her discharge, she is unclean. Any, any bed that she lies on, bench that she sits on, anybody she touches is unclean. Imagine not being able to hold your loved one's hand or reach out in a time of joy or sadness. Maybe if you're sitting on a bench and a friend walks by and sits with you, they can't. I couldn't go through the marketplace and shop for things for our family. I couldn't make food. I couldn't provide. And if somebody did sit by me or did touch me, then they were then declared unclean as me. They had to wash and they had to isolate until evening. I contaminated them. I did it. It was on me. It was a terrible, shameful reminder of sin. Then Jesus came into the world. He was born of a virgin. He was, I had heard of the miracle of his birth and the things that he did, miracles, signs, and wonders. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. Jesus, Jesus did this. Oh, the promises had come true. I'd heard that he taught with authority, that he shut down those Pharisees with his words with, as he spoke gently but powerfully. And he brought down all those lies and the sicknesses around us. He was coming to set us free from oppression, set us free from our sickness. It was Jesus I sat in awe, but alone in my room by myself because I was unclean. But then he walked down my street. See, for many, Christmas is just a strange celebration, and we kind of tend to overlook the simple, shocking human story of Jesus entering the world, Jesus' advent into the world. And there we were in our humanity, alone, lost, without hope, desperate, forgotten, powerless to help ourselves, powerless to rid myself of this place that I was in. I needed God's touch. 
And suddenly there he was among us. He was coming. Oh, God's answer to my pain, God's answer to my prayer, God's answer to all things that we needed that I couldn't do for myself and we couldn't do for ourselves. So I reached out. Oh, friends, it was in that moment I reached out and I touched the hem of his garment and I was healed. He healed me. And I knew it, but I was so afraid because I was in the crowd. I was so afraid that I would contaminate and I would destroy the people around me. Would I even make Jesus unclean if I touched him? I was breaking the law to be set free from its impossible demands. But my uncleanness was erased right then and there for all to see. I was liberated. It was on my first Christmas when Jesus walked onto my street and he entered my circumstances. He entered my darkness and transformed my life forevermore. He came into my pain and brought healing. He brought all hope to my life. So sisters and brothers, it's today that I hope that Jesus can come into your helplessness. And this Christmas, may you see that he is present in your life and in your body to bring you a living hope. Wasn't that awesome? She's amazing. We uh, hope that you hear the voice of voices of Advent over the next number of weeks. But I want to end today with one last question. Why did Jesus call her back? He tells us in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. But Jesus kept looking around. Who touched me? Why? And then she'd already been free. We already know that in verse 29. It says immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So why did he call her back? Remember, we started this story with a man named Jairus who had a daughter who was dying. But there was another daughter. But she hadn't heard that term in years. She had lost her identity. All she thought is, if I can just touch the dirty part of his garment, the part that had been dragged through the streets, the, the dirt, the feces, the urine, and all the places where other people had walked with their unclean shoes. And her thought was, if I can just touch that part, I can be healed. So why did he call her back? Because, and you can, here's the answer, it wasn't about what he told her, but what he called her. He didn't call her by her nickname. He didn't call her issues. He didn't call her addict. He didn't call him alcoholic. He didn't call him uh, unfixable. He didn't call him the hopeless one. Nope. And there are lots of examples in Scripture that uh, people touch Jesus or, and, and, heal, and heal them but, or where Jesus touched them. But there's, not, there's very few where Jesus reached out or where somebody came and reached out and touched Jesus. And there's no other place in Scripture in the Gospels, where Jesus calls someone daughter. This is the only time. So Jesus uses that term because here, I want you to understand this. He wasn't just going to heal her on the outside. He needed to heal her on the inside. He didn't want her to walk away that day 
thinking I'm physically healed, but I'm still a nobody. I'm still an issue. I'm still this. So he calls her daughter in front of everybody. I think that's an amazing thought. Let's stand. He claimed her when she had nothing to offer. She came to him broken, but he made her better. She healed, she was healed from the inside out. And he gave her a new name, daughter. Advent means, remember this, arrival or coming. It means preparation for the arrival of Jesus. Hope means a joyful and confident expectation that something better is coming. It all started when she heard about Jesus and then she had a thought of hope which turns into faith. And I say that this morning because Jesus has showed up on your street and in your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, a voice of hope is here to call you today. Maybe you need a physical healing today. Maybe you've lost hope that it will never, ever be different again, that you'll, you'll never know what it'll feel like to be completely healed physically. I'm here to tell you today, if that's you, get some prayer. The Bible says, if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. He came at Christmas to be your physical healer. But maybe you need a new identity today. And you've been emotionally hiding it. No one else knows it. But I'm here to tell you this. Jesus is here to change your identity. Not into what you think you are, but into who he made you to be. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Because some of you have been living with the wrong thoughts. Some of you have, have, have just believed all the different things that others uh, have said about you and the labels they put on you. Jesus came at Christmas to reveal who you really are. And if that's you, you need to know you're a daughter, you're a son, but it all starts with a relationship with him. If that's you, raise your hand right now and say, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Raise him high so I can see him. I see that hand right there. Anyone else? I see that hand too. Anyone else? Okay, that's awesome. Let's all pray this prayer together. You're not alone in giving your life to Christ. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my savior my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, if we can just have the prayer folks come on up. If you gave your life to Christ today, if you need healing today, whether it's physically, emotionally, whatever it might be, come and get some prayer this morning as we spend a few more moments in worship.